I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is New York Times bestselling author and journalist Jeffrey Salingo. His new book is Who Gets In and Why? A Year Inside College Admissions. During parts of 2018 and 2019, Jeffrey Salingo was embedded at three different universities to get an inside look at the admissions process, the University of Washington, Davidson College, and Emory University. He was trying to answer the central question millions of college-bound kids and their parents ask themselves every year. Who gets in and why? The answer, it turns out, is surprising and has a lot more to do with the college or university's needs than with what's best for students. He presents a complicated truth showing that who gets in is more frequently about the college agenda than about the applicant. He's, uh, his writing has appeared in the Washington Post, New York Times, The Atlantic, and WSJ. And he's also the best-selling author of There Is, is Life After College. Um, welcome to the show. Nice to have you here, Jeffrey. It's great to be here. Thank you. Well, everybody's interested in who gets into college and why. And uh, I guess, as I said in the intro, that's true. We think about uh, it's all about the student and uh, what their needs are. I mean, I have three kids, did the college tours. It's all about what's going to be best for my sons. and that. Uh, but uh, not true, you say. It's really what's best for the college. How does that work? What does that mean? Uh- so basically, the colleges are looking for, they have priorities, and they're looking to fulfill those priorities largely through admissions. So they're looking, for example, students from all 50 states or particular states or particular regions of the country. They're obviously looking for more students of, of color, uh, different uh, racial and ethnic backgrounds, as well as uh, sometimes more men, because there's many more women in, in college these days. They're looking for more English majors or philosophy majors to fill those departments. And sometimes the needs might be very narrow. They might need a tight end for the football team or a third baseman for the baseball team. Uh, and so those are the priorities. They all, you know, and many schools also need full payers. Those are the priorities that are really driving admissions. And so as I remind readers, just because a college accepts 25% of applicants doesn't mean you have a one in four chance of getting in. Okay, so you chose three different colleges, uh, and I'm going to ask you why you chose those three, University of Washington, Davidson College, and Emory University. Uh, because they're very different, or their admissions process uh, are different, or why those well, there one, one was yeah. <laughs> one was uh, was as ran- one reason was as random as uh, as admission sometimes is, and those are because those were the three institutions that allowed me in. Uh, I asked, I went to twenty four, I approached twenty four different uh, colleges and universities, and those three said yes. There's another reason though for those three, in that they are very different types of schools. So I was only looking mostly at selective institutions. There were about two hundred colleges and universities in the country that accept fewer than 50% who apply. So one in two students. And I wanted selective institutions because obviously if they're not selective, meaning they take basically everybody who applies, it's less interesting. Um, and, And those are not the schools that everybody's applying to either. So I wanted to look at selective institutions. Uh, Emory is a big private in an urban area. I wanted to get a big public because 80% of American students go to public universities, and that's the University of Washington, and then a small liberal arts college in, in Davidson College in North Carolina. So it also gave me kind of basically the three types of institutions as well. So, Jeffrey, but they were, I mean, they are selective institutions and different, as you say, university, college. 
no Ivy League schools, or what they did you want? To, no, I, I didn't. No. I actually didn't want any of the Ivies or uh, Stanford or the University of Chicago. I didn't want places that were essentially impossible to get in. You know, most of the most of the Ivies are single digit percentages of of acceptance rates. I wanted places that where where decisions are being made on applicants, but they don't seem so impossible. So a place like Emory, for example, has a fifteen percent acceptance rate. Uh, and, and these others have, uh, you know, Davidson's around that as well. And then the University of Washington is in the 40% range. So I wanted places that were not impossible to get into. You got, all right. So you got, you got accepted at these three colleges. Okay. Yes, exactly. Right. And after your acceptance, what did you find and what were the differences among these three or were there differences? Um, no, there, there were very big differences among okay. the three. Uh, you know, and so a, a Davidson, for example, gets 5,000, 6,000 applicants per cycle, where an Emory gets 30,000, where a University of Washington gets 40 plus thousand applications. So the biggest difference is just in the number of applications they get, but they all have essentially the same amount of time to review those applications. So they all have slightly different review processes. All of them, though, use something called holistic admissions, which is copied by elite colleges everywhere. And holistic admissions basically means colleges are looking beyond grades and test scores to decide who gets in. If we were only looking at quantifiable numbers like GPA and test scores, we could actually have a computer admit students to college. But all of these institutions are looking at what they call the whole student. They're looking at reading essays, reading recommendations, looking at activities, really digging deep into a student's course offerings that they took in high school, their high school curriculum, to see how difficult of course collection they took. So they're looking at all of these different things in what's called holistic review. At the end of the day, though, holistic review is, is the way I put it in the book. It allows institutions to kind of do what they want to do and, and admit that class the way they want to admit it going back to those priorities we were talking about earlier. All right, so the, the test scores are given, the grades are given, and then you take a look at the holistic approach, which means what they would have, like uh, we're looking for an oboe player, as you, or we're looking for a, a swimmer, or we're looking, for, is, is that what you're talking about? Or No, the holistic approach is really, no, the holistic report, approach is how they review the application itself. So they're not just looking at grades and test scores. They are looking at other things in the application. So in Emory, for example, grades its, student, grades its applicants on, on intellectual curiosity, on extracurricular activities, and on the academic side of things. So they're looking, and, and Emory and Davidson are very similar in that way. So they're looking, again, at the whole student, not just the grades. They're looking at extracurricular activities, they're looking at these essays, and they're giving students, they give, they rank them, on, rate them on a, a scale of one to five in both cases. So, uh, so you know, a student who has participated in a lot of activities, a student who has had a great high school curriculum and has scored high grades in it might get a five, others might get a three. As I put in the book, it has the precision of a, an, a judging an Olympic figure skater uh, or even landing somebody on the moon, but 
in many ways, it's a lot. It's a lot more ambiguous than that. And who I could is give do- some. I could yeah, read an ahead. essay. I could read an essay and give somebody a five, and somebody else could read an essay and give them a three. Meaning the admissions officers. Aren't there layers of admissions officers as well that they have a whole pile of, of applicants and then there's a group of admissions officers who read them and and then if they pass the muster or whatever they go on to the next and it goes you know goes on to the next yeah yeah and 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 all these schools do that somewhat differently so at Emory for example they have what's called a paired reading system so the application there's a rough sorting that happens so when you get 30,000 applications like an Emory does. There are some students clearly that are well above the bar, and there are students that are clearly well below the bar. Everybody gets read. Everybody gets reviewed. They call the review reading. Uh, everybody gets reviewed, but some are so simple to make decisions, right, automatically in, automatically out. It's those people that are in the middle, closer to the middle, that are more, more difficult to, to decide. So at Emory, for example, those applications, that first review is done in teams of two readers, it's called a committee-based approach. A number of selective colleges now use it, where you have two readers in a room together. They split the application in half. One looks at the high school record, grades, test scores, and curriculum, and the other person looks at everything else in the file, the essays, the recommendations, and then they talk about it. Davidson does something different, which is the old-school way of doing things, and that is individual readers meaning individual admissions officers, read an application, and then they pass it on to what's called a second reader to read it. So they still have two people review it, but they review it instead of synchronously. They review it um, consecutively, one after another. And then it eventually goes to a bigger committee to make the tougher decisions. And again, every school runs its committees differently. A small school like Davidson is able to take every applicant before a bigger committee, where a school like uh, uh, Emory is not able to do that because they have too many applications. You know, it's interesting. Each one of these colleges, not just the ones, obviously, that, that you were uh, embedded in, but when you go on a college campus, there's a feel for the kind of student. The whole campus gives out sort of an aura of the type of students who have been there. And I've been to so many, as you can imagine, college campuses with uh, having three three uh, kids who went to college and graduate school. So th- is there something sort of an intangible that each one of the schools look for that sort of represent the type of school that it is? They're really looking for, they want to make sure you understand the type of school it is. So a, uh, an Emory is much more pre-professional, meaning they have many students who go there to go to law school, medical school, business school, where a University of Washington is a big public university with some signature programs in engineering and computer science and obviously big-time sports in a, in a major city. And then there's the Davidsons of the world, small liberal arts colleges, yes, close to Charlotte, but kind of off in its own little town where you're going to be in much smaller classes, different, much different feel. They have Division One sports, but small college feel. And what they're looking for when you apply is they want to kind of under, they want you to understand what you're getting into. And so they look, especially in the essays and the recommendations, that you're going to be that good member of the community and that you understand what kind of community you're coming into, whether that's the big university, the small college, how passionate you are about the major you want to, uh, you want to major in, 
that's what they're looking for when they when they're reviewing these applications. And one of the problems that I saw with how students complete these applications is that most students now are applying to eight or ten schools, and they're doing these applications all at the same time in many cases. And so they're applying to University of say in this case they're applying to University of Washington and Emory and Davidson, very completely different places, and they're doing these applications all at the same time. They're cutting and pasting from a big Google Doc, and then they ship those applications off. And when those applications then arrive on the other side, you don't quite get a sense of the whole student. You don't get quite get a sense of why that student wants to come here because they were just kind of mixing and matching everything that they were doing with all these different institutions. And so what I recommend to students is to really focus on one college at a time. Why Davidson? Why Tulane? Why Boston College? Georgetown? Whatever, whatever college you're applying to, why do you want to apply there? And focus your application on that institution rather than try to make this much more of a muddled mess and, and, and be applying to multiple schools at, at the same time. Jeffrey, though, do you think that some of these students, even though they might be smart and bright and talented and have all the assets that the particular school that they're applying to want, they don't really know? I mean, some do, and some students are very focused, and they, you know, they want to be a, an engineer or a doctor or a teacher. But do most students know that are are able to do that? You know, why do I really want to go to Davidson College? I mean, how do I know that? And and how can maybe the question is how can I get to know that so that I do make the right choice? No, and it's it's tough. I mean, I will tell you though that most students end up at their at their first choice school, uh, and we know that later on through through surveys. And so, what I think that students need to know is not everybody needs to have a passion when they're coming into into school. And so I think it's very difficult for some of these students that I saw coming through the application process to really understand what they want. And unfortunately, I think the bar is too high at some of these places where admissions officers are looking for somebody with demonstrated interest because they want to be a doctor and in the sciences. And at Emory, I saw they were looking for people who volunteered in high school and hospitals or doctor's offices or intern there. And first of all, many students don't even have that opportunity. Second, many students don't have the time or they don't even know they need to do that. And so there's already inequities in the system right there. On, on top of that, you're right. I mean, students come to college, and part of the purpose of college is to discover what you want to do by taking various different classes. I think part of the problem now is because college is so expensive, I think parents in particular are trying to get students to focus more in high school to figure out what they want to do so that when they go to college, they kind of dive right in they do the coursework, they get the internships so that when they come out of college, they have a job. And unfortunately, I think what that has taken away from us is that ability to discover something new while you're in college. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, what about the, uh, you know, now with the pandemic and getting into college, things have changed, haven't they? Or doesn't it sort of, the playing field has changed somewhat? I mean, kids are not going to be, some kids aren't going to be taking SATs, some will. Some colleges are pass-fail. They're not taking into consideration grades. So that kind of changes the whole playing field, doesn't it? Or how does it do that? I don't think it changes the playing field. In fact, it's it's a great analogy because it's an analogy that I've been using where sports is obviously being played right now in the middle of the pandemic. The playing field itself hasn't changed. We're still playing baseball at Yankee Stadium, for example. But some of the rules of Major League Baseball have changed. And the same thing is happening in college admissions. 
the playing field, how colleges are reviewing applicants, the process of applying to college largely isn't changing. But some of the rules are, you mentioned testing is the big one. 400 plus colleges and universities this summer went test optional, meaning they don't not requiring a, a, a test score for admissions for the class of 2021, the high school graduating class of 2021. And what that means now is they're going to lean into high school grades and high school curriculum much more, which they were already doing anyway. I, I point out in the book that parents and students are in love with testing more than college officials are because they know from the research, meaning the admissions officers know from the research that the SAT and ACT score predict freshman year grades, but what really predicts success in college are the courses you took in high school and how well you did in them. Did you take difficult courses in high school and did you do well in them? That shows that you have the discipline to get through college. And so most colleges and universities are looking much more closely at the high school transcript than they are looking at test scores. Many times I saw they were looking at test scores kind of as a check-in more than anything. And so in many ways, that's why colleges felt like they could give up on the, on the test score, particularly for this year when it's so difficult for so many students to take the test. Now, what about college? But the playing, as you say, using the playing field as an example, baseball is still baseball, but the context is different because there's not an audience. So what about students going to school because you are the expert in this field and uh, taking online courses? That changes the college experience and maybe the kind of student that you would accept into the into college. It has to be really somebody who can uh, study on their own, you know, in isolation. I mean, there are a lot of different, I guess, um, skills that one would have that are different than if you were going to regular college classes, in, in-person classes as opposed to virtual. I think it's a great question, uh, and I don't think that admissions officers are really thinking that way right now because I think most of them are assuming that the class that they're cho- beginning to choose, students graduating, seniors graduating in the spring, are going to be on campus next fall. I think it's a great question because I think we also thought we were going to be on campus this fall and on campus this spring, and, and increasingly we're not going to be on campus this spring. So I think it's a great question, but I don't think that most colleges and universities have confronted that yet in terms of admissions. And and another piece of that is that, you know, you're not going to be able to all these extracurricular, I call them extracurricular activities or the additional things that you do in college aren't necess- wouldn't necessarily be there either in, in terms of contributing to the whole college experience, whether it's some sports are not available, uh, you know, the debating team. I mean, you can go on and on, uh, you know, the extracurriculars um, will be absent. Um, so it seems to me that would change everything in terms of who you're looking for as, as a student. But I guess that remains to be yes, seen. I mean, and, and yeah. part of the problem is that I, I think what colleges and universities are looking for in terms of extracurricular activities is just like they're looking at grades, they're looking for upward trends. They want to make sure that students are continuing to learn. And the same is true in extracurricular activities. If they see on your application that you participated in an activity your freshman and sophomore year of high school and started at your junior year of high school, and then the coronavirus canceled the spring of your high school activities, and obviously you may not be able to do them in the fall of your senior year, they're going to assume that you were doing that anyway. Where I think this hurts students are those students who may not have figured out what they wanted to do in high school and maybe just started an activity their junior year 
or it may hurt those students who are on their way to becoming captain of their team or president of their club. That may show in their list of activities, but those are the students that's going to hurt the most. But you still have the rest of the high school record, which I think is critical for trying to figure out what students might have done in high school if there were no coronavirus. Yeah. I think the topic of resilience comes in. How are these students, how resilient are they when they can't go to their graduation, when they can't do all, you know, that when they, some of this stuff is taken away from them their junior and senior year? How do they respond to that? Or how have they responded to that? To me, that would be part of the admissions. I'm not an admissions officer. I think that's what colleges are looking for. They're looking for people who can navigate that ambiguity because in many ways, that's what learning is. You don't know all the answers. Things change. And colleges are really looking for, especially selective colleges, they want to make sure, do these students have what is often called a growth mindset? Do they feel like they haven't learned everything? Do they want to learn more? Are they naturally curious? Are they able to navigate that ambiguity and deal and problem solve? Those are some of the things that colleges are looking for in the application. They want to make sure that students still have room to grow when they come to college. And so in many ways, how they're responding to this pandemic, I think is key. The other thing about the pandemic is that it's affecting everybody across the world, sometimes in equal measure. So how it impacts a one individual student, I don't think is gonna be an issue because it is impacting everybody, including by the way, the admissions officers themselves. They really have a lot of empathy, I think, for the students this year, because it's not like a student faced something at home that you might, as an admissions officer, might understand, or, uh, you know, maybe there was a natural disaster in your home state, and you, again, as an admissions officer five states away, might not understand that. We all have a common, under- common understanding of what's happened here over the last six months. And so, I, in many ways, I think they're going to have more empathy for students. Interesting. Uh, so, wh- what would you say, um, I-, I just want to get back to the th- three schools you went to. When when you were embed, what did embedded mean? What did you actually? What what did you do? So I spent. Uh, obviously, there were three different schools in three different physical locations, three different yeah. geographies. So I couldn't be there every day at every school. I spent different parts of the reading season with them. So some some of these schools have what's called early decision, where students are able to apply early and get an early answer. I went both to Davidson and Emory for that part of it. Uh, Training. I sat in with the, uh, as they trained officers, both at Emory and the University of Washington, sat in on reading at the University of, of Washington. And what I meant when I say embedded, I, I sat in the offices. I read along with them, reading the actual applications of these students with them. I listened to their conversations they were having with each other or talked to them if they had, were individuals reading the application. I sat in on committee meetings where it's almost like theater as people are debating individual students. So I sat with them throughout, uh, throughout the process. Boy, when I'm listening to you, I'm thinking any parent, that's why we have to buy your book, uh, Who Gets In and Why, a year inside college admissions, because any parent would want to be a fly on the wall listening I mean, that's essentially what I was. I was a fly on the wall. Yeah. And I, I went in and out at different parts of the reading season and the uh, decision season. I was there in November, December, January, February, basically right through the beginning of March when they send out acceptances and rejection. Well, 
Great talking to you today, and obviously very important uh, information. Jeffrey Salingo, tell us website. Uh, we have one minute left, actually. Uh, website and or websites we can go to for uh, more information about you, and uh, you know, buy the book. Perfect, JeffSalingo.com. J-E-F-F-S, as in Sam, E-L-I-N-G-O.com. You can get all the information about the book there. Um, And obviously, go to your local bookseller, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, so forth, to buy the book, which is now on sale. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Great having you. It was great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 